You say, two pastors. Two pastors. Take a walk. In the world. Take a walk. In the world. In the world? In the road. In the road. And make a podcast. Uh-huh. Make a podcast. Yeah. Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors, Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching. So, also this week, you might hear the sound of a child. Um, my youngest is homesick. She's in the other room watching Curious George for now. <laughs> for now. Let's hope she stays there. <laughs> so, what's astonishing you this week? I'm astonished by um, one of our adult discipleship groups Mm -hmm. at Derrida Church. They are doing an N.T. Wright study, Mm -hmm. which is challenging uh, for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are accustomed to doing devotional studies like a Max Mm -hmm. Lucado, and um, this is, it's it's just hard. It's hard for them. But they are so faithful, and they're sticking to it, and they are not whining or complaining. Um, and I said to them, uh, when I was with them on Sunday, I said, um, you know, if you want to see a group of people whine and complain, hang out with some first year seminarians, yep. because I remember <laughs> those days and all we did was complain about how hard the reading was. And why do we have to read this theologian and that theologian? Yeah. And if I didn't understand a theologian, he was stupid. It wasn't <laughs> That's right. Because That's I never right. read any women theologians. He was stupid <laughs> and he had nothing of value to add QED. Yeah. That's so. right. But they're not doing that. They're not doing that. And it's really beautiful to see, and um, I celebrate them. They'll spend three, four, five weeks on just one chapter because they they really want to get it, and they realize mm-hmm. this is important. And the study is um, about understanding Jesus, Paul, and the mission of the church in the context of the first century world. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, again, these are not uh, seminarians, and so this is new to them. But it's giving them the ability to read the text and no longer just simply read it and go, well, what does this mean to me? Mm-hmm. But to read it and ask what did this say to the first readers? Mm-hmm. And um, again, it's a beautiful thing, and I celebrate them. They're just doing really good, hard work. And I've been in other congregations in which people would not do this kind of, this level of, of, of study. Yeah. Um, well, when we were saying earlier, you know, it just makes me think we've been paying a lot of attention in our neighboring series on the most important commandments being love your neighbor as yourself, but also love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mm. And we're saying that for many of us, we have like an area in which knowing God, experiencing God comes easier for Mm -hmm. us. So Mm -hmm. some of us, you know, it's that, that knowing Christ in your mind, that that's just the place where we really connect. It's easy. It comes easily. It's enjoyable for others of us. It's, you know, that heart relationship with God is just, that's our wheelhouse. That's our dominant spiritual uh, um, conduit. And and for many of us, the natural thing to say is, whatever comes easiest for me 
is the most important and or the only way that really yes. matters. And if knowing God in a particular way or loving God in a particular way isn't natural and easy for me, then it must be worthless. And so we were saying that for a lot of churches, that N.T. Wright study, you know, because we tend to sort ourselves like with like in our churches, mm. a lot of churches, that N.T. Wright story would not, study would not be um, challenging for them. It, it would be their wheelhouse mm-hmm. and they would eat that up for breakfast and have very mm-hmm. abstract intellectual conversations yeah. about Jesus that would be very enjoyable and not challenging. But if you put a Max Lucado book in front of them, that would be very challenging for them to take that seriously mm-hmm. and not just to dismiss it, you know, yes. and scoff at it. And mm-hmm. that the challenge and the reason that we're meant to be in a community that is among all the different other ways of diversity is spiritually diverse. Mm, that's good. Is because, you know, we're meant to love God in all of the ways that we are made and not just you know, with, with our dominant hand. And so, I mean, I just think that's great for your community that they, I mean, they have the humility to Mm -hmm. say, I don't just want to know God in the way that I already do and be confirmed in who I already am and what I already understand. I want more. And so more requires me, um, to, to approach God in a different way and to not, you know, there's no reason to be ashamed or to feel weak about that. It's just to say, how wonderful it is actually that there's this whole other realm mm-hmm. of growth and fruitfulness that we avail- get to lean into. Right. That is just basically untapped. Yes. So like if your experience of God is yes. this good and rich mm-hmm. here, how wonderful will it be when you get to add yes. a whole other dimension mm-hmm. of knowing and experiencing God? And just too often we refuse to do that yeah. because we're more interested in ego protection affirming what we already know and what we already believe right and then actually um being challenged in braving the wilderness to buy i mean to say like this is a whole new experience for me so that that's wonderful and i'm glad i mean that i just think is such a hopeful sign Mm -hmm. for your congregation because the people that are willing to do that are a people where a lot of fruitfulness is going to happen and it just brings me great joy to see God's people embrace challenge and watch them grow um, and just to watch the spirit work in and among them. It, it just brings me a lot of joy. Well, and and so say, I'm grateful to be there. And essentially say, like, God, I'm allowing you to make a new aspect of who I am. I mean, mm, new life, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. if we want to be a disciple making community, then we're inviting people to come in and become entirely different people. So yes. we have to yes. be willing and excited mm-hmm. to go through the same process. So that's yes. wonderful. That's good. So Kate, what is astonishing you? I'm so excited to hear what you have to say <laughs> because as we started this podcast, you said, mm-hmm. well, we'll just see what comes out. And um, that always makes me happy because (laughs) well (laughs) listen I am going in a different direction with my astonishment and this is um you know we talked about this on the walk beforehand Um, so I had a really interesting experience this weekend that I was um at a at an event that was wholly unconnected to the grove um and I was participating in this worship service and I um, had been asked to come and be a part of it um, to fulfill a, a denominational requirement mm-hmm. um, that we, in our denomination, we have certain events that 
as pastors, as Presbyterian pastors, we're not members of our individual churches. We're mm-hmm. members of the presbytery, which is mm-hmm. the next level of the adjudicatory. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I was at this presbytery event, and I had been invited to be a part of it and to fill a, a, a quota, necessary quota, yes. um, of a, a requisite number of ordained clergy who had mm-hmm. to be a part of this event. And so, and then also there had to be a certain number of what we call ruling elders. So mm-hmm. these are um, lay leaders in the congregation. Um, and to call someone a lay leader, I'm just being descriptive. It's sure. not a, you know, it's just people who are not ordained to the ministry of word and sacrament, people who have not had the opportunity or misfortune, however you want to characterize it, of going to seminary, right? But we're all equal in the Presbyterian church, whatever mm-hmm. your path to ministry is. Okay, ending that. But anyway, I was at this event. And there had to be a certain number of teaching elders, which is ordained clergy as we are, and ruling elders, mm-hmm. which are leaders from within the congregation mm-hmm. at the event in order for it to be decent and in order. And so I was fulfilling this requirement and there was a worship bulletin wherein everyone's name was listed and all the other clergy were listed and given their titles and I was listed and was not given my title. And so really it was interesting to me that when I opened the bulletin and saw my name, um, that I just had this very strong, visceral, emotional reaction. I was mad, just really mad and really angry, and I didn't want to be there. And so obviously, <clears throat> thinking about myself, that, you know, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Why is it so important for me um, to have my title in front of my name. Um, and there's, there's just something just, I don't know. I mean, you want to watch that, right. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And just be aware. But I mean, I'm, I'm not the kind of person that walks around and says, you know, call me Rev and whatever. Like, so, but it was just interesting that the other people who were there in my role had been given their titles and I had not. And so you know, the most generous way to look at that is just to say, Oh, it's just an oversight. It's not a big deal. Um, but, you know, I just was angry about it. Mm-hmm. And then you start filling in your assumptions about why everyone else is recognized in mm-hmm. that way and why you are not. And I I don't know. So I just, I mean... I, well, it's just, complicated, right? It is. It's really complicated. Because it, on one level... There is your your what you're talking about right now, very legitimately and graciously, is about the kind of personal feeling of personal slight. Yes. Right. Yes. But there's also the issue of being a woman in ministry, where there there is lots of still injustice. Well, I mean, it's interesting though. I was not the only woman clergy member there and the other women clergy were given their titles so it was just me i can't help but wonder if it doesn't have something to do with the kind of work that I do, that we do, the kinds of churches we are trying to build, which are just not typical or celebrated churches within our denomination. And I just, I don't know. I mean, that might be reading too much into it. 
it's not a, a gracious way of, I don't know. It just is unpack a, that a little bit. The the kind of work that we do, I mean, the kind I of churches think, that we lead I, I think, are not celebrated. What, well, what do you mean by that? I mean, I think that when people look at an ideal quote career path for a Presbyterian pastor, mm-hmm. what people want is to be called to a quote good church. Yes, and then which means. Which usually means large and well-resourced, which then has the effect of meaning that it is serving a particular kind of people. And in our area, that means white and wealthy. Mm. And so um, I think that, you know, the assumption of the way the system works is that good people get called to those good churches Mm. and they mutually make each other better and better. And so when you... um, choose and feel incredibly honored to work, do a different kind of work in, you know, transforming and rebuilding churches and Mm -hmm. not trying to build a church of homogenous, wealthy white people. I mean, just the things that make our church good are different than the things that make other celebrated churches in our denomination good. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a a lot of times I feel like so in seminary, you know, I would be a cautionary tale, like, you know, work real hard or you could end up, I, I don't know, I'm probably being more... Uh, but what I hear underneath that is also the struggle that you and I have um, to resist that message. Because we can internalize the message right, sure. that says, oh, we must not be that good mm-hmm. <laughs> because our churches are not perceived as that good. I mean, I just definitely feel like, on the one hand, um, the denomination has been really gracious to me and really gracious to the Grove. On the other hand, there's just a, there's a way that the system works to discount and dishonor my work in the church. I mean, mm-hmm. primarily because the kind of worship service that I was called to be a part of for that other pastor and that other church is one that I and the Grove will never receive from the presbytery because I am not a quote installed pastor. Mm. Why is that? Because the Grove cannot in good stewardship Mm. provide the kind of salary and benefit package to me Mm -hmm. that would allow the ministry I do to be Mm. recognized by the institution as installed. Mm -hmm. So while there is a culture of literally celebrating the ministry of certain kinds of pastors, that culture literally does not celebrate the ministry that I do. And everyone would be clear to say that's got nothing to do with what you do or how we honor it. It has only to do with the fact that your congregation doesn't provide this salary package. And so people would say that doesn't mean anything, which is easy for you to say if your church is the beneficiary of this whole culture. And, And so then, yeah, when I walk into a place and everyone else is titled and recognized and I'm not, you think, sure, that could be a coincidence and an oversight and it's not a big deal. And also, I mean, that's a interesting person to get overlooked mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. i don't know i mean but the main thing that was it's just interesting to me how powerfully that affected me yeah. because obviously philippians right like why should it matter so much to me that other people recognize and give mm-hmm. me that title when i worship the lord who 
you know, left the splendor of heaven and came mm-hmm. down and lived among us and endured the cross, discounting his shame. I mean, it's just True. interesting. So really that's, I'm not talking about anybody else. I'm talking about, I was astonished mm-hmm. at how emotional, my own emotional response was yeah. to that perceived dishonor from mm. my colleagues and how I can absolutely, they deserve the benefit of the doubt for me and I can give it to them. But even if that wasn't the intent, it was the impact mm. on me and how difficult that made it for me to really show up and be in that space mm-hmm. authentically and vulnerably because I just, you know, I just, it just, obviously yeah. it's taking me a while to get over it. So I, and I really think again, for me, if I were more centered in the values of the kingdom, that would roll off my back. And so the fact that it didn't for me is an indicator that I need to be aware of yeah. where I'm centering yeah. myself and where I'm yeah. grounding myself and why is it so important to me mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. other people perceive me in a particular way when I know who I am and I know what I'm doing. But so. you're not only talking about yourself and how you're perceived. You're also pointing to, and you just did a moment ago, something in the culture of our denomination that reinforces what is a good church. And mm-hmm. so I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think in that moment of anger, you're also responding to that as well. I, and and yeah. again, you know, the enemy of our souls, the enemy of the church can use those kind of complicated situations uh, to say, well, it's just about Kate or it's just about the denomination, but really it's, it's about both. And so, yeah, I do think, I mean, two things can be true, but only one of them is in my area of responsibility. Got it. And I am not responsible. I I mean, other than Mm -hmm. to speak the truth when I have been called to do so, but I'm not responsible for how other people feel about me. But I Mm -hmm. am responsible for how I walk in love towards other people. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that I'm called to be in relationship with this church and with my colleagues. And Mm -hmm. I am responsible for um, how I love them. And Mm -hmm. if I choose to keep a record of wrongs against Mm -hmm. them, that is unfaithful on my part, no matter how much I might argue that that list is accurate. And there's a way that I can speak the truth without being angry. Sure. And and um, and I'm just not, you know, whatever. And I just, I mean, we said before, because you were surprised that I was going to talk about this. And saying, you know, I mean, the whole point of this is to sort of pull the curtain back and say, you know, these... This is how we this is how we process things yes. as pastors. Yes. And yeah. I think it's helpful for I mean all of us in our lives have times when mm. we don't quote get the respect we deserve, close quote. Yes. And the question isn't how can we fix the world so that never happens. The question is knowing that it's going to happen, mm-hmm. how does our knowledge of who Jesus is and our relationship with Jesus allow us to put it, what happened in the context of Jesus? Yeah. And say Oh yeah. I mean, it's a real thing. It was a, you know, a slightly painful thing, but in the scope of the salvation narrative, it's a tiny little thing and I need to be aware of my reaction to it um and not let it you know, divert me off course or not let it give me an excuse not to do the hard work of bearing in love with the community that I've been called to serve, which is not just the grove, but is also the you know the presbytery that I'm a member of yeah. so um, so yeah that is what I 
have done a spouse. That's good. Job. Well, I, I appreciate your willingness to um, walk through that on the podcast. Um, and I think it, it's helpful to people to hear a pastor say, look, this was a painful thing for me. Here's how I deal with it in light of my faith mm-hmm. in Jesus. Here how Here's how I try to faithfully follow Jesus through this particular painful, hurtful thing that made me angry. So yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. And I think, I mean, in our churches, we make each other angry. And we're yes. never going to get to a point where, yes. like, we weed Listen. people out to the point that we never get angry. Yes. So the goal isn't to never get angry. The goal yes. is to be self-aware enough to know, yes. like, wow, I'm having an emotional reaction right now. So I need yes. to take responsibility yes. for, you know... You know, it's funny, we had a, um, a member of our church do a teaching on conflict resolution once, and he said something that has just stayed with me forever. He said, like, anger is like a drug. It is a mind-altering emotional substance. And so mm. when you're angry, you think it's a good idea to say and do things that yeah. you would never do when you were, like, yeah. emotionally sober. Right. And so you, you got to be aware of that. And so when something happens, it's not to say it didn't matter. It's not to say you don't want to deal with it. It is to say, for me, I'm astonished at how angry I got over something that is legitimately small and could mm. easily be an oversight and how quickly I wanted to turn us. And so I just need to be aware of, like... Yeah how I talk to people when I'm that angry. And then I need to be curious about what does it say about how I'm, you know, how I'm anchoring my own ego and identity that something so small could just whack me so far off course from being the person that I really authentically want to be. Um, You need to pause because my neighbor's raking gravel and the kid is screaming in the other room. What are you thinking about? I'm thinking about, um, you know, for the past couple of weeks, we have talked about how churches um, unintentionally build walls in terms of uh, ethnicity, and they have things, they can have things in their culture or um, traditions that uh, exclude people, Mm -hmm. and I'm still thinking about that and uh, had a response to uh, the conversation we had last week about uh, a church or churches in our presbytery that have this um, event called um, the Kirking of the Tartans. We have several churches in our presbytery that do that. And uh, one question that came back to me was, well, what about churches that do Black History Month? Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, That's just been on my mind, and uh, one response I have to that is, I would say to any congregation that is seeking to be multi-ethnic, that they must take a hard look at the ways they intentionally welcome people, Mm -hmm and the ways they unintentionally build walls. And I Mm -hmm. I would say that to any congregation, regardless of ethnicity. I would also remind uh, people, especially if you're not African-American, 
and you're not accustomed to being in a church that, um, that highlights black history, um, that often, I won't say always, but often when an African-American congregation, historically African-American congregation lifts up um, black history, often the story is told in a way that talks about us, a big us. Mm -hmm. This is a story of us, all of us, regardless Mm -hmm. of ethnicity. Uh, Sometimes it can be exclusive. And I think those churches need to examine that um, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of pain there. And so that, that pain can come out in ways that uh, build walls instead of bring people in. But I would also say to people who are not African-American, and it's one thing that you probably wouldn't see unless you're inside, is that part of African-American culture is that we very quickly, and I think easily, adopt people into the family, mm-hmm. right? You, you hang out with us for a little while, and you're we're going to invite you to the cookout, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And so you just become one of us. And I can see how someone who is not African-American would see a poster or something for Black history or um, maybe even be in that context and think, this is not about me, but just hang out for a while and you'll see that, um, that, that, that you'll be adopted um, in a way that's, uh, you'll be family after some time. Yeah, so that's a very gracious response from you. Here's what I would say as a white person. A, it is different when you tell stories that celebrate the dominant empire and when you tell stories that mm. celebrate and lift up um, the way that God works on those that the culture says are marginal or discounted. I mean, the Bible makes a choice and a harsh choice to prioritize the pain of the Hebrew slaves over the pain of the Egyptian soldiers who were drowned in the Red Sea. Mm. I, it just does. Mm-hmm. And it tr- I mean, mm-hmm. and it troubles me. But I also feel like that is, you know, the revelation of Scripture to say that empire is not God's will for creation. And when we choose to align ourselves with the powerful who use their power to oppress and destroy the powerless that choice has consequences. So, I mean, I've said before that I think there's a huge difference between a homogenous church where everyone's the same and the way they're the same is that they're, they are all part of the dominant racial group as opposed to a homogenous choice church, which it's the people, it is made up of people who are excluded or discounted um, by the dominant group. So for me, I... I will always believe and understand, not that anyone needs my approval, but I will always believe or understand the necessity um, and the holiness of having an African-American church in a way that I will never believe and understand the holiness of having a white church because a white church reinforces the values of the world that's passing away. And a black church challenges them by saying these people who are despised and dehumanized by the larger culture, actually God 
you know, loves and cares and is at work in it. So A, would say that. B, I think as a white Christian, it's actually a really spiritually healthy experience to be in a space where the story being told and celebrated is not about you. Because in the larger world that I inhabit as a white person, everything is about me. And anything that's not about me is is classified either explicitly or implicitly as an aberration, abnormal, or not that important. Mm. So to be in a space where you see a story is being told and God is at work in a life that doesn't look like yours, and if that makes you uncomfortable, that's actually, I think, a very spiritually healthy discomfort. So I just... I mean, I just think that as a white person, Mm. white supremacy is a hell of a drug and detoxing from it is incredibly painful. Mm. And just to be able to say, like, if it bothers you to think about a church telling the stories of African-Americans and the way that God, I mean, do we not believe that God has been in the story of freeing um, African-American slaves and dismantling a system that separates and oppresses us, a system that explicitly teaches that black bodies are less valuable than white bodies. I mean, that's a lesson that not only African-Americans need to, I mean, white people need to know that and, and to see that not as a threat, but as a beautiful manifestation of the glory of God, like we're being freed by that too. So celebrating the story of blackness is not the same as trashing whiteness. It's not. And So, I mean, that is just to say, I think that all churches, for me, need to be thinking about and looking at where is God at work in the lives of people who don't look like me or who maybe are perceived to be a threat to me. And I feel like, you know, there's a very good biblical precedent to do that. And it's called Jesus (laughs) and the story of the Good Samaritan. Um, or, you know, Jesus saying at the beginning, like there were many hungry widows in Israel, but that's not where God sent the prophet. I mean, we need to understand that God is not always at work in the homogenous group of us insiders. And if we are determined that that's the only place God shows up, we're going to miss out on a lot of the activity. So how do you get white Christians there? How do you get white Christians to that point? Well, I mean, I don't think that... I get white Christians anywhere except to say, you know, sometimes you just have to disrupt a dominant narrative before you can tell a new story. And that's a painful process. Disillusionment Mm. is a very painful process, but we're not called to have our faith and our trust in illusions. We're called to have them in the truth. And so I think for white people speaking as one, it's incredibly painful to soberly look at the destruction that this myth of white supremacy has wrought um, in our world and in our country and in the ways that I continue to benefit from that and to sort of be able to name that as a sin. And, um, you know, I do think that the the work of um, Ibram X and, you know, um, becoming anti-racist is really mm-hmm. helpful. But, I mean, even though I mean, we've even talked a little bit about, about it on this podcast, on the one hand, I think... I I think it is helpful to just be able to say white supremacy is different than white people. (laughs) And so to be able to say, I can be against white supremacy because that's an ideology and I can still be for white people, but Mm -hmm. I can understand that, you know, to an alcoholic, if you take away their alcohol, they're not going to rise up and call you blessed. They're Mm going to say, you're killing me and Mm -hmm. you're taking the only thing that brings me joy and makes me feel alive, but that's a poison and it's poisoning you. And part of it is being willing to say, I'll speak the truth about this, not because I hate you, but because I love you. And I love you so much that, 
if part of being faithful to you means that you attack me or hate me or despise mm. me, you know, I love you enough to, to, to accept that. I mean, white people spiritually are being annihilated and destroyed and separated from Jesus yeah. by white supremacy yeah. and by the way that white supremacy has invaded like a like a parasite yeah. you know one of those parasites that gets inside the body mm-hmm. of, an, of mm-hmm. a host animal and, and, like, and, and sucks out yeah. you know whatever was there before so that it's mm-hmm. still wearing the shell yeah. but on the inside it's something totally different wow. that is what is happening wow. in white churches wow. that are not really consciously uncomfortably painfully wrestling with mm-hmm. if we say that God loves all people and if we look at the witness of scripture which is that Paul did not make a Jewish church and a Gentile church, mm-hmm. but said, I know it's inefficient. I know you're going to rub up against each other in all kinds of ways that are going to be really painful and are going to threaten the unity of the church. But ultimately, that process of conflict yeah. is what makes you holy, not what keeps you from being holy. And so, we, you know, we can't avoid it. There's no shortcuts. So do you remember when we were in seminary and uh, theology class and we had to study one of the neighbors and um, um, there was Christ in culture. That is how society and Christianity uh, kind of work hand in hand and match. There was Christ against culture. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's what you're, you're pointing at here. It's where the gospel encounters society, encounters culture prophetically and says Mm -hmm. this is wrong this is right and it's kind of a um, breaking of whatever ism right Mm -hmm. is there a christ what was the other one a christ transforming culture here where um it's not a clash it's not against culture but it's also not the same, that the, the gospel and culture are not one. Is there a place where um, the gospel, um, instead of a parasite, it, well, there's kind of a gospel parasite that no, gets in the host, parasite. but then transforms yeah. well, I mean, the body. I hope and pray that that's what's happening in our local churches, right? I mean, and yeah. this is my problem a lot of times is I feel like we in the church look outward at the community or at the denomination or at the nation and shake our fists and say, why don't you blah, blah, blah. But in our own sphere of influence, we just accept that like, oh, well, we're a white church. That's just who we are. There's nothing we can do about that. When it it comes to these congregations in our presbytery um, that have a tradition of the kirking of the tartans, I was thinking, okay, if, if I were going to help my white sisters and brothers here, what might be a first step? And I think I would offer or suggest to them, okay, keep this tradition, call it something different, but make it about more than tartans. Make it also about kinti cloth and cloth from Guatemala, cloth from Southeast Asia. And so as you're you're coming in with these banners, um, make it multi-ethnic. Turn it into something else. I don't know. That might be I a mean, first step. I think step. the challenge is... Um, there's lots of challenges to that because if 
let's say the the tartans are first in primary, that still sends. But I mean, I just think it's a deeper challenge to be like, have we so nailed celebrating the culture of the kingdom? We've so figured this yeah. out and locked it down mm-hmm. that now we have time left over to sell. I mean, like, I just, <laughs> I don't think that we know what the culture of the kingdom is yet. Mm. And I think our problem is, you know, I mean, for for the all the hours in a given mm-hmm. week when we are not explicitly sitting down and focusing on Jesus, our attention is distracted in so many sure. ways. Like, sure. I just... I don't know why we're trying to hallow mm. human culture in mm. the context of worship instead of continually, soberly looking at the truth and saying, like, the the kingdom of heaven is among us, but it is hidden. And when we are fully participating in it, like, oh, my goodness, it's going to be a rude awakening for mm. all of us. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like we need to learn to hold our our identities much more lightly than we do, which is not to say we all come in the church and become the same. I mean, we Mm -hmm. don't. And, and there's nothing wrong with being Scottish or Irish or German or whatever you are. But to say that when I come into the context of the church, that I'm stepping into this foreign country, which is actually my home. And I don't have to leave behind who I was, but I understand that that's not the dominative, the dominant narrative about who I am now and my focus is not supposed to be on me I mean when they're when you see that scene in Revelation yeah, yeah. I mean people That's are bowing down mind, and worshiping Jesus yeah and they're yeah. casting away their crowns but in that scene John makes a point of saying every tribe nation people and language and so that is not lost. and you just said that of, of course that, that that part of us isn't lost it's it's brought to the moment of worshiping Jesus, and so I'm 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 trying to get my head around how do we um, hold on to celebrate who we are, the people God has made us to be, the families He's put us in, the the wonderful uh, diversity of ethnicities and languages, and still. Um, Okay, but let's just stop and tell the truth. Okay. If there were a local church mm-hmm. that was full of every ethnicity and nation and language and whatever, then absolutely they should do that kind of service. Yes. But most of us, my own church included, like we're not. And so I don't, I mean, I have been a part of churches before where with all good intentions, mm-hmm. say the women of the church had said, well, let's have a special dinner where we celebrate the nations of the world. And then you just clump the white ladies into different groups and say, you be Guatemala, you be Russia, you be whatever. And they make the distinctive dishes and they dress. I mean, but it just, it is like, play acting and mm-hmm. I don't have any problem mm-hmm. with naming like mm-hmm. this is the vision and this is what we're not mm-hmm. but I do have a problem with like acting as though we've already arrived when the reality is when I look at the message of scripture what I see is the vast distance between who we are now and who God is creating us to be and I don't want to celebrate something I see what you're saying before it is because when I said um, transform the curtain of the tartans tradition into different cloths. You were probably thinking the people who are currently there. Right. Okay. And that's, that's what I didn't uh, say. Cause I was thinking people from representing those different groups and nationalities and ethnicities, they're there in the, and so it would be, um, 
It would become part of the church's mission, intentionality to say, hey, we want to welcome these people. We want, we want to get them and, and not have the, the, the people who are there play act, right. but have the church realize, oh, we have certain peoples in our neighborhood, in our community, and they're not here. They're not in our church community. And what's that about? Yes. Right, because we've said before, like, it's one thing if you are in a rural, isolated community mm-hmm. that is homogenous, mm-hmm. then if your church is homogenous, I mean, that's just a that's a function of reality. Sure. It's not a sin. Sure. But if you are, as both of we, are, both our churches are, mm-hmm. in the midst of, you know, neighborhoods mm-hmm. that are the nations. I mean, yes. and forget it. Like, I don't care if your church is in... South Charlotte or Myers Park, I mean, you can drive two miles and be in community with people Mm -hmm, who, mm -hmm. you know, so there's just no living in the Metro Charlotte area. Mm -hmm. We all could be neighbors Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and, and brothers and sisters in Christ together. And we just, we just, as King said, we just scatter and separate on Sunday mornings. And that, I mean, this is my problem with World Communion Sunday which is coming up on the first Sunday of October, that to mm-hmm. me, it just seems like one Sunday a month, our churches discover... You mean a year. One Sunday a year, <laughs> correct. One Sunday a year, our churches discover that people all around the world are taking communion. I mean, yeah. like, this October 6th or 5th isn't World Communion Sunday. Every Sunday is World Communion Sunday. Yes. And the fact that, like, one Sunday a month... I mean, I just there's something deeply uncomfortable mm-hmm. to me about mm-hmm. that, that not only... Do we we set that day apart and then like check it off our list? But we're actually proud of ourselves by mm-hmm. saying like, well, I mean, and I've been there. I've done this, so I'm yeah. talking about myself. Like, I'm going to go buy different kinds of bread and then somehow <laughs> think that I've done something really brave and yeah. prophetic. Yeah. I mean, that's. I mean, that's that is again. I'm talking about me, yeah. and in the past, I have literally done that, yep. and now I look back at that and think that is puh. Yeah. That is not the gospel. Yeah. So talking about me, only talking about myself. <laughs> well, I mean, this is a huge issue and I'm sure we'll, we'll continue to talk about it. Yeah. 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 So, so what are you thinking about? I mean, I'm thinking I've talked enough. <laughs> so I, let's skip me here and I'll just say um, that this Sunday, um, what I'm preaching about in our neighboring series um, is in line with our early conversation, like let your neighbor be different. And I'm looking at the Jerusalem Council passage in Acts where you know they really have to have a fight and say, do we need the Gentiles to come in and adopt Jewish culture in order to be one of us? And the answer is a resounding no, no. We're united in our identity as followers of Jesus Christ, but we are not homogenous in our the way we eat or the way we live i mean the things that are not counter to the gospel yeah. we we have freedom to be different and we i think so often and we've said this a million times on this podcast that we try to find our unity in our culture mm-hmm. instead of our unity in jesus mm-hmm. and so to think about being an intentional you know being a church where we're praying and saying god let us be a church that looks like the kingdom of heaven then to be able to say, I want, I want to be brothers and sisters with my neighbors in the community. And then to say, okay, then be aware of the 
the unexamined expectations that you have that people are going to come in here and sing like you, pray like you, sit like you, eat like you, and recognize they will not. Yes. And you have to not only be not offended by that, you have to be ready to see and celebrate, and celebrate. that that is a gift, that what binds you together is only Jesus because you got nothing else in common. And that is a, that's a strength, not a weakness. And so we, we're talking about that on Sunday. And wow. obviously, goes right into your yeah. earlier conversation. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. So what are you preaching about? We are continuing in Philippians, of course, mm-hmm. and we are, uh, did three whole verses last week. Don't look at me like that. I, I, I am seriously no. not looking yes, at you, you like Yes, you are. That. You're like, I am, mm, I'm letting, how long done. is this series taking? It's yeah. It's now uh, really ungracious. Yes. No, <laughs> I, you know, I, I lost. I can, I can, I can admit to that. Um, but we're coming to one of the I guess maybe even the most well-known place in the letter where Paul says rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. And he says, be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And um, walking through this letter has just been so wonderful and such a blessing uh, uh, with this congregation and and God has really blessed this sermon series and especially the past couple of weeks because the the messages you know Paul, Paul has this way of writing where he begins a letter with like heavy theology and doctrine and then the second half will be you know mm-hmm. practice and so uh, the last few weeks have been very practical and and uh, people have really uh, latched on to that and uh, this week as well and the the focus is I think it's really about um, Anxiety, how to deal with anxiety, mm-hmm. and and Paul is very clear. I mean, the, the 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 rejoice there at the beginning is not good advice; <laughs> it's right. a command, and he not only says it once, but he says it twice, as if to mm-hmm. say, "No, you really need to rejoice." And it reminds me of what you and I do every Tuesday when we sit down to record this podcast. Oh, except we- <laughs> awkwardly, not today on my part, but okay. But, but it is a discipline to say, "Okay, what am I celebrating today?" Right, and the thing is. We think that rejoicing is a feeling it and it's an not. action. Yes. And it's to say, yes. if what I need to happen in the world is for my plans to work out, then I'm going to walk in anxiety all the time. That's right. But if what I need to happen in this world has already happened at Calvary, mm. You're then, preaching now. You're preaching. Yeah. I mean, yes. <laughs> then I can that, rejoice. That's exactly what and we're saying. And to say, you know, yes. cancer diagnosis. Yes. Somebody forgets your title in the bulletin. <laughs> Buzzing. I, I can rejoice <laughs> yes. because Jesus is Lord yes. and because yes. this way that I love, that I that I see and I'm astonished by all the time, I know that it is triumphant yeah. and that everything else is passing away. And so even if the passing away in this particular moment is painful, I can rejoice yeah. because I know the end of the story. And if I... Yeah. I'm angry because I'm not getting my way in the world that's passing away. That's not the world's fault. That's mine. Mm. Well, um, you know, the text that begins with this command to rejoice mm-hmm. ends with a call to prayer. But in between, Paul says, let your gentleness be known to all. Oh, that's the what Lord people say about me. Well, well oh, thanks, it, Paul. <laughs> 
But I'm thinking, okay, so why is this here in, if I'm going to talk about anxiety, why does Paul say, let your gentleness be made known to all, the Lord is near. And then it occurred to me, yes, when we are full of anxiety, it's really hard to be gentle. No, that's true. It's I mean, really hard to be kind and uh, gracious. But, uh, and, and he says, let your gentle be, gentleness be made known to all, period, the Lord is near, period. And that that line, the Lord is near, um, in my mind, at least at, at this point as I'm preparing to preach, is both um, warning and comfort, right? Yeah, I'm just thinking, it's really, really mean of you to let me start off this podcast talking about... <laughs> No, I, I petty. No, party of no, I mean, here. No, I mean it's just helpful though. It's so helpful. I mean, you know, hurts it's so good. It's no, not, but not I mean, intentional. No, really, I know, but I mean, really. it's we're not, friends. Right, we're friends. I understand. We're it's friends. not your attention. It might be Jesus's. I mean, just but in seriousness, to say like, look, I mean, we are all fumbling, trying to find our way home, and so yes. often we take like growth that we have or revelation that we have. And we make it about our egos, you know, like, oh, I'm here because I'm better than you or we or or because we don't feel fully, you know, fully accepted in Christ. We try to find our sense of worthiness by ranking ourselves. I mean, it's just so it's so pernicious. And Hmm. even when we're literally trying to fight it, sometimes we're participating in it. And I feel like that's what Paul is doing is to say this whole system this whole system is is passing away. And so you gotta you you just gotta hold it lightly if you have to hold it at all, like when you're losing in it and when you're winning in it. And it's And it's work. It's so this much work. is spiritual work when mm-hmm. you're anxious to rejoice, to to but to be continue gentle to be gentle with people and to pray. I mean, it's those three things together, and I think those three things work together. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think Paul is saying do one to the exclusion of the other two. It's 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 as if these the, these three things must go together. It's as if, but it it is, but it is work, and it is the well. It's it, a way of living. Yes, yes, and it's the way it, it of Jesus. It is a Jesus. path, and it is a narrow path. Yes, right, and I think. Yeah, and that's, I think, what we miss so much because we've been taught to say the way of Jesus is about exclusion, right? Is to say, like, Jesus is the only way to get to God, and so if you're not on that way, you're going to hell. Like, that's all we think that means, as opposed to literally saying, no, there is a way. To walk. To to walk, to live inside the love of God. That also includes right belief, but it's not simply right belief about Jesus. It includes right belief, but it... It, there, there's also a way to walk. Well, I'm just saying, like, I can know that verse in Philippians mm-hmm. and not ever try to live it. Absolutely. But, like, yes. I know it. Well, Knowing no. it doesn't matter Listen, if I'm not... all the time, people put it on a coffee mug or a t-shirt, rejoice in the Lord again, I say rejoice, and just think, oh, yeah, but it, they, that's but, a nice inspirational... Okay. but what verse do they not put on a mu- uh, coffee mug? Be gentle with everyone. Yes. The Lord is near. Yes. Nobody's putting that on a bumper sticker. And, and often you'll get the rejoice mm-hmm. and the and the prayer. prayer. But we skip that part. It's That's right, so it's interesting. In yeah. That is so telling. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, church. <laughs> oh, well. I was really not looking for spiritual revelation today. Oh. So 
Um, I have much to think and about. And you're welcome. <laughs> so thank you for listening. Hope it didn't hurt you as much as it has hurt me. If you want to hear Yolanda's sermon this week, and I recommend it, you can find the Derida Sermon Podcast on Podbean, Podbean. website. Um, the Grove website. Or the Grove website is great. The Grove Charlotte dot org um the grove podcast is sick but <laughs> we're gonna fix it under construction it's under construction but it's on itunes you can find old ones there not much recently um but we are grateful um to have you in the conversation and we'll talk to you next week <laughs>